Welcome to the Paranormal News Insider for the week of July 7th, 2020, and this is officially episode number 442, and this is your host, as always, Dr. Brian D. Parsons, and we are live on the Paranormal King Radio Network at ParanormalKing.com, and this week on the Paranormal News, we are going all over the world. I really highly recommend you grab a passport uh, and a, a medical mask if you have one. I'm not going to force you to. Uh, but yeah, we're going all over the world from Canada to uh, to China to, uh, well, really all over the world. Um, so strap in, put your uh, tray tables uh, back in the upright position, fasten your seatbelt, and uh, grab a drink or three. Uh, for the next hour, yeah, we're going all over the place. And uh, let's see. Well, to talk about paranormal conferences, conventions, if you tuned into the show last week, uh, I talked about 20 minutes about some of the changes, the cancellations, and how some of these events are being pushed into 2021. It seems to be the big trend right now for paranormal conferences and conventions just to go ahead and say, you know what? We're not going to chance it. Even in, in October, there is events that are canceling for uh, the year and just go ahead and rescheduling for 2021. Uh, so I've done the best I can on the events page. Not going to cover that this week. Uh, you can check it out yourself uh, at paranewsinsider.com and click on the events tab at the top. And uh, hopefully you get to go to one of these events, but uh, I would keep my eyes peeled, especially on social media. It's probably your best bet. It seems like a lot of these websites don't get updated uh, too often, but uh, the social media outlets that these uh, events are associated with generally change pretty quick. That's the quickest way you're going to get the information to these. And uh, I'd be very careful if I were you in, in buying tickets for any kind of event this year, paranormal or otherwise, uh, due to the rapidly changing conditions in our lifestyles and uh it is what it is it's the new normal get used to it don't think it's just going to go away and everything's going to be uh, back to normal come august 1st or anything like that we've been saying that for months uh, we thought back in june it would be all back to normal july and and here we are uh here in ohio we're about ready to probably shut things down again seems like we're headed in that direction but uh all I can say is just be safe and uh, don't just 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 wear a mask. Come on, to get over ourselves. Let's let's just take care of each other and not worry about uh, how we look or how we feel. Let's just just put a mask on. I got to wear one eight hours a day at at my work, uh, so we can do this. We can get through this. It's it's just uh, something we got to do. And uh, I tell you, it's it's scary stuff. And I was actually, um, it kind of hit me a couple weeks ago. Got to to finally go out and play some baseball, which was great. Uh, to a little bit of normalcy for um, for a change. And 
hang around some people and, and do stuff that, you know, you're not supposed to be doing pretty much, but, uh, going out and playing some baseball and we had an umpire and he's, uh, 72. And he said to me, he goes, I've never seen anything close to this in my entire life. And that kind of, uh, kind of rattled me a little bit thinking about that, how uh, older people are saying this is uh, unlike anything they've ever seen. So, yeah, so this is unprecedented times. But anyway, you all know what's going on there. But what about in the paranormal world? So let's dive into some paranormal news, because I guess that's what you came here for. And we're going to start out in, well, let's go to Canada. Why not? Uh, last week, uh, kind of missed this one. Missed a lot of holidays. I guess we had uh, World UFO Day. I usually do mine in June. Uh, June 24th, uh, but uh, I guess a lot of people celebrate that in July, I think July 2nd, but uh, last week was Canada's birthday. Uh, we had ours over the weekend here in the United States, but uh, Canada's birthday, Canada Day, I think that was, uh, what was that, Wednesday, I believe, uh, there was an article written by Dead Entertainment, and this year uh, they've done, I think, uh, top... Canadian movies for the horror genre. Um, they did uh, this year. They did Lake Monsters, so they talked about Lake Monsters behind Canada's urban legends. And I think uh, Canada kind of gets shortchanged with uh, a lot of the the cryptid monsters. I mean, uh, obviously the the big dude is Sasquatch. Uh, but, you know, Washington, California kind of steal that thunder a little bit. Um, and, of course, with lake monsters, you're talking the Loch Ness Monster. I mean, Scotland rules the world as far as lake monsters are concerned. And that seems to be the one that we talk about here on the show quite a bit, Nessie. Uh, but Canada, they got a handful of these monsters, and each one is a little bit different. Uh, Ogopogo. Probably the the big name, I would think, in the Lake Monsters of Canada. Uh, also called Agi. I didn't know that. Never heard of Agi, but Ogopogo. Uh, from Lake Akanagan, or Akanagan Lake, I guess it's, that's how they say it. In uh, Way out there in British Columbia. So it, it's been home since uh, the first reported sighting was back in 1872. And sightings have occurred uh, since then. And sightings in the 1960s actually prompted Greenpeace to demand that if the creature was caught, it would not be killed. It would just be caught. And in the 1980s, Ogopogo was declared an endangered species. I don't even know what it is. Uh, but um, there it is. And we've, thought, we've had a few stories about Ogopogo over the years, I don't think I've had one this year, but I know definitely last year, if it wasn't this year, I don't know, this year's been crazy. I'm trying to think of anything that's happened, but uh, uh, pretty pretty much the most popular one there. Uh, Manitoba also has its own version of Agi called Manipogo. And Manipogo is uh, estimated to be, to be uh, between 4 and 15 meters uh, we don't know what a meter is here in the United States. Um, four to 15 meters long. It's got a brown body and a head similar to a sheep. 
I don't think I'd want to see that. Uh, Lake Simcoe in Ontario has an unidentified swimming beast nicknamed Igopogo. Uh, Igopogo is uh, also known as Kempenfelt Kelly. Yeah, I've not heard much out of the Igopogo arena in a long time. Uh, but uh, it's, it's pretty established as one of the the uh, top lake monsters in Canada. Uh, Quebec. Uh, Quebec, they cheat a little bit here. They have uh, two lake monsters they lay claim to. Uh, they have uh, Memphrey, which resides in Lake Memphrey Magog. And uh, they still champ, too, which not happy about that. But uh, we can share, I guess. Uh, Champ, which uh, also lives in Vermont, probably lives in Vermont in the summer. You know, it's a nice vacation home. Well, I guess Canada would be colder in the winter. Uh, so maybe uh, Vermont is its winter home, I guess, uh, here in the United States. And it's home in Lake Champlain. Not Champagne, Champlain. Uh, on the East Coast, there's also Cressy an eel-like creature that purportedly lives in Crescent Lake in the town of Robert's Arm in Newfoundland in Labrador. Interesting. So they have a handful. I know there's more than that, but that's all the, uh, that's all the creatures that Dead Entertainment talks about in their blog. Uh, kind of a short history uh, and mention of some of the lake, the famous lake monsters of Canada. Um which is pretty cool. So let me throw that link there in the chat room. Well, place it gently, I suppose. And uh, boom. There you go. Um, yeah, I missed that story. Well, it came out right, I think, the day of the show. And I just kind of set it aside and said, eh, maybe next week if I get time. And I had a little bit of time to wedge that story in there. So the second story of the night, um, let me uh, segue this too, because it, was it yesterday, yesterday a, a story popped up about a missing alligator. So somebody in Michigan misplaced their alligator. It, it must have escaped out of their house, out of a small enclosure, only about a foot long, and uh, they can't find it. So it's running around somewhere in Michigan. I hope it's packing. Uh, but we've got a follow-up to a story uh, that uh, yeah, I forget, it was about three weeks ago and about a missing alligator. And, well, they still haven't found it. Um, but they did find another one, which is weird. I guess when you're looking for something is when you find something else. I'm not sure. Um, but uh, in Manhattan, not that Manhattan, uh, a different Manhattan, uh, on June 5th, a uh, two five-foot-long alligators, one male and one female, were stolen from Manhattan's Reptile World pet store, uh, not New York City, uh, but Manhattan, Kansas, so kind of out in the middle of nowhere. And one alligator was reportedly seen on June 10th 
And after about a week of trying to capture this thing, because you know Kansas, they're not really equipped to uh, wrangle alligators. It's not really in their repertoire of their police force. Um, probably dodging uh, corn is probably higher up than capturing uh, alligators. Uh, unfortunately, the uh, the alligator um, was caught in a trap, which then fell into Wildcat Creek. The alligator drowned, uh, unfortunately. Uh, the pair of alligators were used to educate people about reptiles and were actually not for sale. Uh, on July 2nd, the Riley County Police Department responded to a call of an alligator seen along Wildcat Creek. Uh, animal control officers were able to find the alligator, which measured about three to three and a half feet long. And so Reptile World was contacted and said, hey, we found your alligator that's missing. Uh, but Reptile World said, no, uh, bro, ours was five feet long, not three to three and a half. So I don't think they would be able to mismeasure that. Uh, this alligator, however, was not captured. And caution signs were put up warning people of the potential danger. So there's no swimming, waiting, or playing allowed at Wildcat Creek. And authorities have no plans to capture the alligator. Which is kind of astounding to me. Um, and they've uh, given the following statement. They've said, quote, Our animal control officers do not have training to capture the animals safely. So we contacted the Kansas Department of Wildlife, Parks, and Tourism and spoke with the game warden. The game warden does not have any plans to pursue capture of the animal at this time because it does not pose a threat to the public, unquote. Um, well, a three-foot alligator, yeah, not really a, a problem, not really a threat to adults, but it can certainly kill small pets. And, uh, you know, if it's approaching four feet, uh, it could potentially kill a child well, that's that's no laughing matter that's the truth right there uh, especially an alligator that's getting desperate uh, the alligator will also continue to grow as it eats uh, could easily reach four feet plus uh, pretty quickly here in the next couple of weeks or months uh, but that's going to be it for this poor alligator which is why i'm kind of astounded that they're not going to try to capture this uh, on a sad note as the creek and the area around it uh, cools this coming fall. I mean, yeah, he's got a few months. Uh, eventually, the alligator is probably going to freeze to death. It's a long, slow, painful death. But uh, another concern of mine is now this is out. People know about it. And obviously, coupled with the earlier uh, discussion of the area of Wildcat Creek with these two large alligators out there, uh, one missing uh, that one could uh, could be in somebody's house or somewhere else by this point. Uh, but this one, three to three and a half foot one, is still out there. And people know about it. So maybe other people might be inspired to go out there and try to capture this so they can have a, a free pet. Uh, so not, not happy about that. Um, could inspire somebody else to go out there to try to capture this thing, which could lead to injury. And that's not that's not smart. It's not safe. Uh, either way, whoever dumped the alligator in the creek in Kansas, 
uh, has more than likely sealed its fate no matter what. So, you know, we've seen this time and time again. I've talked about these alligator sightings, especially the last couple of years, but it usually leads to the alligator's demise because uh, just like here in Kansas, they're not equipped to capture these these animals. And a lot of these uh, northeastern states are pretty reluctant to do so. And they, they grow to a certain size. They're pretty much going to kill them anyway out of, uh, you know, danger for, for people. You know, what what is too big? You know, what is dangerous? A three-and-a-half-foot alligator is certainly dangerous uh, to the general public uh, because people aren't, you know, if I'm out in a creek in, in Kansas, I'm sure not looking for an alligator. Uh, it's, it's well north of where alligators should be. Uh, so nobody's really thinking about seeing an alligator. And if one of these dudes are there, I mean, this happens in Florida all the time. I mean, everybody knows that alligators are in Florida. But however, people get dragged in to creeks all the time. People get attacked. Um, we've seen a, a couple of, of deaths just in the last month down in Florida and uh, other other southern states. It, it's just these things are there. And even when they know they're there, Accidents still happen. So, yeah, obviously alligators are not native to Kansas. And this one was dumped by somebody. So not technically a cryptid. But uh, it's I always find it interesting that alligators are just popping up in droves in the northeastern United States. And it's uh, it's happening a lot more. And it's, it's kind of an alarming thing. Uh, if you're going to go out and buy an alligator... You got to know they're going to grow. You, you can't keep an alligator from growing. They're going to get big. Um, very big. You know, they could grow up to 10, 15 feet long. So if you don't have, uh, you don't have a giant bathtub uh, or a, a backyard enclosure that you can keep it warm, uh, don't get one. Don't get one. A lot of states have uh, laws against owning alligators. And unfortunately, some of these traveling pet things don't care about the laws. They just, they're just there to make some money. So um, do some research. Don't just buy an alligator on a whim. It should never be an impulse buy. And uh, if, if you're not sure that you can keep it and you've already bought it, uh, reach out to somebody. Reach out to a state or a county organization and usually, from what I've heard, uh, most places have a... Uh, no questions asked. Uh, they'll take it off your hands uh, just so uh, it, it's not dumped out into a creek or a lake and uh, surprise and hurt somebody. Uh, surprise, we haven't had something like you know an injury happen so far. But uh, why why try to risk it? Uh, so take take care of this. Yeah, we should just stop people from selling them. But unfortunately. Uh, you know, alligators, if you go back to uh, what's the late 70s, early 80s, they were endangered. They were pretty much wiped out everywhere. And so laws against um, uh, hunting and, and everything and uh, the trade of uh, the skins for suitcases and shoes and hats and all that stuff, uh, you know, kind of went down. But uh, alligators made a huge rebound. It's, it's actually a really good story. Uh, about a rebounding creature, but unfortunately, yeah, they're like they're like rabbits. Uh, they breed pretty fast, and uh, there's a lot of alligators. They're just overwhelming uh, all along the south 
uh, and they're creeping north a little bit more and more every year um, because, uh, you know, things are warming up. And it's just a matter of time until, I don't know, it's just a matter of time until we'll probably go back the other direction. I mean, there's already TV shows about killing alligators and uh, every every day I read a story about somebody uh, you know, and, and killing one due to it uh, attacking a dog or getting too close or uh, what have you. You know, they're really encroaching. Well, well, I guess we're encroaching on their territory. But uh, uh, alligators have made a major comeback, and and unfortunately, the the trade and sale of these, whether legal or not, has increased as well. And I I don't know what the fascination is with them, with people owning them, exotic pets in general. Uh, but it's got to stop. It's got to stop. Uh, so let me get uh, throw that link. Oh, I got like four links to that story. Yeah, do that one. Hutch News. So it's a nice little added benefit. So if you're if you got the time to uh, sit and join us uh, live in the chat room, we're just hanging out in uh, and listen live here on Tuesday nights from eight to nine p.m. You have the added benefit in the chat room of getting links. Uh, also has some photos coming up, uh, especially here in this next story. It's going to be unbelievable what you're going to see. Um, I got pictures of a real live dragon. That's right. Dragons. Uh, haven't had uh, a dragon story in a while. I think last year we had a story about a dragon. It was a uh, wood cutout, I believe. Yeah, so dragons. So in China, dragons hold a special place in mythology, folklore, and pretty much everyday culture. It's not really something that we can compare anything to here in the United States, I don't think. Um, I mean, maybe you compare that to like Bigfoot. So uh, Bigfoot is a, is a big deal here in the United States. A lot of people believe in it. A lot of people don't believe in it. Uh, but Bigfoot uh, is a great person to employ to uh, sell cars and beef jerky and things like that because you don't actually have to pay anybody. You don't have to pay an agent. You don't have to pay an actor. You don't have to buy them brown M&Ms uh, and separate all the colors from in a little bowl. So you don't have to pay anybody, which is great because it's pretty much a fictional creature. I mean, more or less, you're not going to capture one for a commercial. Uh, but uh, it's probably the closest I can think of of any kind of folklorish mythology type creature here in the United States comparison to dragons. Although dragons are very, very deep in historical uh, belief systems, probably way more than uh, Bigfoot here in the United States. So dragons are, are even thought to control the weather and other natural disasters. That's how big of a deal they are. Uh, the year of the dragon is a special event, a special year every 12 years where uh, dragon children are many times planned out. Well, I forget what I was. Let me see. Let me look that up. Real quick. I forget what I was. Year of the Chinese Zodiac. So I was an ox. Uh, I guess. I don't know what's so special about that. Probably nothing. Uh, I was born as an ox. That's crazy. Um... Yeah, so the year of the dragon, which is coming up here in 2024, it's thought that 
to be the birth year of leaders and influencers. And it's coming up. So, you know, people are, they're getting ready. They're saving up. Got four years. Got to pace yourself, I guess. Uh, In a case of social media, seems like we talk about this quite a bit. Uh, Social media causing problems. Imagine that. Uh, But social media creating mass hysteria mixed with a little bit of folklore with uh, dragons. Uh, Chinese villagers went up to a mountain in search of a dragon. A lot of them. Uh, Footage taken back on June 20th shows hundreds. I saw hundreds. uh, But it was described as thousands of villagers in a uh, southwest province in uh, China were excitedly hiking a uh, trail claiming to hear the growl of a dragon. Lots of people. And uh, they were all littering the hills. And... uh, I don't know. It's 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 crazy to uh, to think that that many people would be swept up. But I guess that's what happens. Um, oh, there it is. So here's a, a screen capture. I'll throw this in the chat room. A screen capture of the video. It's it may not be the best picture there, but uh, just people everywhere, all over the hills, uh, screaming and and hollering and. Um, Claiming to hear the the uh, growls of a dragon, uh, it was said that farmers in the area had claimed to hear the growls, uh, but the real culprits began to spread rumors online. Uh, videos with sound effects and the claim of a dragon being seen in the hills of this uh, local area, this uh, village, uh, sent the locals into mass excitement. With ended up with uh, local officials actually conducting a search for the creature. Uh, they cordoned off the area. They sent people back. And uh, they actually did a, a search for this creature. And, I, you know, China's a little bit different. So here in the United States, you can pretty much say whatever you want. And you're going to offend somebody anyway. Um, but, uh, you know, people argue back and forth. and Everybody bickers and complains. And, you know, then... We get over it after arguing senselessly for you know a few days, and then there's something else pops up, and we are, are kind of argue about that. But you can't do that kind of stuff in China. Uh, it's a little bit different. Um, so four four different people uh, were detained, and it's really hard to uh, when you get a so when you get an article in. <laughs> In China, it's it's a little harder to read, um, depending, you know, Google doesn't do a really good job of translating Chinese. It's really difficult to take uh, either if it's um, standard Mandarin or Cantonese. It's really hard to adjust that to English in a way that you can really make sense out of everything. Uh, Spanish is usually no problem. Uh, Italian is no problem. Uh, French is usually not a problem. But yeah, Chinese, it's usually kind of garbled. Uh, but it sounds like these people are actually uh, banned from the internet for for a while, or they were actually detained for a number of days. Uh, so, yeah, you can't mess around over there, I guess. Uh, I really wish we could do that here. Can you imagine that? Somebody spreading some misinformation online. 
and actually gets banned from the internet or arrested. Oh, that'd be great. That would make life so much simpler, I think, for spreading rumors on social media that aren't true. Um, so this is when the story – so this part two of the story really is when – you know, it's funny to say all oh, these these crazy people are running around the hills looking for a dragon. Ha ha, that's funny. Uh, that's part of it. But the second part is where a, kind of the paranormal aspect kind of came in. A little bit of uh, a conspiracy theory, if you will. So <laughs> if this wasn't enough to get people wound up about the story, uh, this dragon – that was claimed by some, uh, some other people thought it was uh, the sound of a tiger as well, which could be in that area, uh, definitely could be a tiger. Uh, but officials claim that this wasn't a dragon, it wasn't a tiger, uh, but in fact was a bird. Yes, a bird. Uh, it's believed the sounds came from the small ground-dwelling bird named yellow-legged button quail. Sounds quite, uh, quite uh, cute, quite cute. Uh, Yellow-legged button quail. It's fun to say. Uh, so I have a little picture of this. This innocent little bird, supposedly responsible for these noises. Yellow-legged button quail. Button quail is one word. It's not really a quail. It's actually not related to quail at all. It just. Um, looks like it. So this is a flightless bird. It's a, a ground-dwelling bird. I don't know if it can actually fly. Probably can fly um, a little bit. A little bit, but not. Uh, it's probably primarily on the ground. Uh, yeah, they're they're pretty loud, especially the females. I'm not being not being sexist here. Um, yeah, this bird is barely bigger than a sparrow. Yet, uh, it's known to carry out a tune that's way larger than its size, uh, especially the females, and especially during the mating season, which we're right in the middle of right now. And they blamed it on this, but um, I don't know. I've listened to quite a few sound samples over the last couple of days. I've heard nothing, nothing like a roar, a lot of really irritating noises that would probably send me out in the hills with a stick. Uh, but I've not heard anything like a roar. But it probably sounds a little bit different out in nature. So if I'm out out and about in the hills, I'm sure it could, it could sound a lot different, probably a lot bigger. Um, but uh, zoologists, after they revealed that the sound was coming from a bird... Uh, a dozen villagers went out and chased the small birds and confirmed the sounds were definitely coming from them. And a lot of people are having a hard time with this. They're thinking, well, well, how could this little bird create the sound? And, you know, it's birds are amazing, especially the way that they can make sounds. Um, so that's, that's not the part that kind of confounds me, but it's it's the fact that these birds aren't endangered. They're very plentiful. Uh, so I find it hard to believe that people that live out in this area would have never heard these before or would mistake their sound for something else. But never question the power 
of social media and people spreading misinformation and uh, creating mass hysteria from situations. It's happened, especially in China, uh, where they're not used to this type of thing. We get it all the time with hoaxes, especially with you know the aforementioned Bigfoot hoaxes all the time, UFO, ghost things. Uh, people like to lie to get attention. And unfortunately, we have a lot of that here in the United States, and uh, they don't have as much in China. So uh, they tend to believe things. And when you're talking about culture that's that's deeply ingrained into their belief systems, of course, these things are going to happen. You know, we laugh about it here, but uh, I don't think it's and I'm sure there's people out there that are laughing at it, too, thinking, well, these people are crazy. Uh, but these things do happen. And uh, trying to think here. There was a question in chat gosh, about an hour ago, it seems like. Who is a Canadian cryptid researcher? It's a great question. Um, I know uh, there's John Green, who passed away a while ago, big uh, Bigfoot researcher from British Columbia. Uh, beyond that, I don't know. I'd have to, to do some research on that. I do know John Green off the top of my head. Um, sheesh, that's a great question. I'm sure there's plenty of Canadian encrypted researchers out there. Um, let's see where... Oh, yeah, let me... Before I get too far away, let me throw the link in the chat room and... Again, if you're not listening live, that's okay. I'm not mad at you. You're slightly disappointed, but that's okay. I get it. You know, we all have things to do. Um, I'm actually on uh, overnights this week, so right after the show, I gotta go to work. So I've got things going on too. But I get it. You know, sometimes you just can't wedge eight o'clock Eastern on your schedule. Uh, to sit down and listen to a uh, pretty informative radio show. Uh, I get it, you know. A lot of people uh, like to have me with a glass of wine in their in their their dinner, which is fantastic. Uh, but not everybody, so I get it. Uh, but uh, you're you're in luck because this show is recorded and does appear on podcast hosts all over the internet, everywhere. You name it, it's probably there. Uh, from iTunes to uh, Podbean to I don't even know I don't even know anymore hundreds of uh, podcast hosts because everybody has their own kind of thing they like to listen to and I, I respect that I get that uh, so if you can't listen live that's okay but what about these links I'm sharing what do I do you're probably asking yourself Brian how am I going to get this information I mean Google is easy but come on I don't want to do the work well don't worry. Because uh, as long as you follow me on Facebook, well, not me, but uh, the show, the Paranormal News Insider. If you uh, go to Facebook.com, search for Paranews Insider, you're going to find me. And if you go to Twitter, at Paranews Insider, uh, either one of those, you're in luck because they're tied together. Uh, I do post through Facebook, but it does eventually go through Twitter as well because I know some people like one platform over the other. I get it. Get it, Facebook? Yeah, Facebook's about yeah. You know, I've just about had it with Facebook, but uh, it is what it is. A lot of people do like it, and uh, that's the, that's their standard. But uh, so fear not, you're going to get the links scattered throughout the week. 
I kind of spread them out. I don't like to just inundate people with 15 things a day. Uh, I like to spread the wealth. So you'll get uh, probably one link a day unless unless it's uh, going to be too much for the week. Uh, I don't have 15 stories this week. So you're, you're probably only going to get one a day. So fear not. You're not going to get your uh, all your your notifications clogged up by the Paranormal News Insider. Don't do that. I don't do that. Uh, but you get the same information that you would here. So it's just spread out a little bit more, more instead of uh, being live here in the chat room, hanging out with uh, all the great people that are in the chat room and uh, having fun. So thank you, China, for the uh, informative story. But now we're going to take an uh, even bigger trip around the world. We're going to be talking about UFO sightings. So MUFON has released... Their sighting statistics for the month of June, MUFON, the Mutual UFO Network, which is the uh, the largest UFO organization in the world. Uh, they claim to have offices and uh, researchers and investigators uh, in many, many countries all over the globe. And like most things in the world this year, uh it started off pretty normal enough in the world of UFO statistics, but uh, once people began to get locked down due to COVID-19, MUFON encountered a huge spike in reports that it has not seen in five years. So the month of April saw a spike in reports with over 1,000 worldwide reports, 1,026 uh, to be exact, in 770 in the United States, which uh, set some records for MUFON. Uh, May still showed some inflated numbers, but it seemed as though the spike was waning as May showed 759 worldwide cases and 572 in the United States. Again, uh, really looking at statistics and averages, uh, it's still above average but on the decline, obviously, from this big spike that we had. And so that makes me wonder, what about June? Well, I, I'm, I'm crazy because I like to do a little thing. I like to uh, guess. I like to put a, uh, a prediction together. And I'm usually wrong. I've had some really good luck. I've, I've actually been... Within one before, I've never gotten it. I don't think I've ever nailed it perfectly, but I've uh, been in within one of at least one of the two numbers before. Usually I'm fairly close or I'm extremely far away. It's just really no in-betweens, it seems like. Um, so I guess we'd see a further decline. Uh, but uh, I figured still a little bit above the trends over the last few years. So I predicted 681 Worldwide sightings with 479 U.S. Thank you, Dita, for keeping me on the straight and narrow and not uh, changing these numbers because it's tempting because I'm so far off. Uh, well, June, June took a big nosedive. Didn't expect it. Um, big nosedive. So MUFON reported a total of 600 and one. So it's off by 80. Uh, this is the second lowest number all year. It is actually below the four-year average of 622 cases a year. 
Uh, last year saw 682 reports in the month of June. Uh, but the last four years, if you average the month of June, uh, they're sitting right at 606. So it's it's actually below a little slightly below normal. Um, but I, I didn't think it was going to just bottom out like that. That was pretty shocking. Um, so of the 601 total reports, the United States had 446. So I guess that's not too bad. Again, I predicted 479. And the four-year yearly average for the United States is 444, with the June average of the last four years at 428. Thought I'd be safe, but um, no. Uh, the second highest country for the month was Canada, with 36 reports. Uh, the United Kingdom was next with 33. France had 12. Uh, Australia had 8. Germany turned in 7. Slovenia had 6. Brazil and Mexico both had 5. Uh, India had 4. Spain, Iran, and Ireland had 3 each. I think Ireland will go up when they open the bars up officially. Uh, 25 other countries and territories turned in reports with 20 of those 25 only turning in one report each. So uh, 25 other countries. Uh, looking deeper at the 446 U.S. reports, uh, no shocker here, California tops the list with 56 reports. And, you know, it's no shocker because California, uh, number one in population, so you would expect it uh, statistically to lead with the number of reports. Uh, Florida was next with 30, followed by Texas with 26. New York had 25. Washington uh, was next with 20. Michigan had 19. Arizona and Pennsylvania both had 18 reports each. Missouri had 17. Colorado had 15. New Jersey turned in 13, and Georgia had 12. Uh, Indiana and Nevada both had 11. Uh, Oregon, Ohio, and Oklahoma, the O states, uh, turned in 10 each. Uh, North Carolina had 9. West Virginia had 8. Connecticut, Louisiana, and Utah had 7 reports each. Uh, Massachusetts and Tennessee had 6. Uh, Illinois, South Carolina, and Alabama had five reports each. And only Delaware and Iowa, those two states, did not have reports for the month of June. Interesting. Now, so looking at, uh, yeah, let's look a little deeper into these statistics here. So uh, per capita statistics, so you take the United States as a whole and you look at the number of reports. Uh, translates to uh, 0.183 per 100,000 people, or basically one in every 544,000 people, well, 544,981 to be exact, reported a UFO. That's that's really not that much. Um, 
I mean, gosh, talking about COVID, I think it's one in 250 to be uh, affected in the United States. So, yeah, it's not really significant at all. Uh, So if we look at California, the number one state in population, as well as the uh, number one state for sightings, they had a point one four one per 100,000 or one in every 705,575, uh, well below the U.S. average. So, yeah, they're number one, but they're pretty low. Uh, some other states that are above average of note, uh, the state of Arizona, number 14 in state population. They had 18 sightings. That translates to a point two four seven or roughly one, well, it's not roughly, it's pretty much exact, one in 404,374 people reported a UFO in Arizona. Colorado, 21st in state population, they had 15 sightings, which translates to a .26, or one in every 383,916. State of Washington, not D.C., state of Washington. Uh, number 13 in state population. They had 20 sightings. They point two six three, or one in every 380,744 people. Uh, Montana, number 43 in state population. They had a whopping three sightings. Uh, but it still translates to a point two eight or one in every 356,600, or I'm sorry, 356,260 people reported a UFO in Montana. Uh, Wyoming, Wyoming is dead last. Number 50 in state population. They had a whopping, an astounding, a mind-boggling two reports. Uh, But those two reports give them a 0.35 per capita per 100,000, I should say, or one in every 289,380 people reported a UFO. You could do the quick math on that to see how many people are actually in that state. Uh, Nevada, number 32 in state population. They had 11 sightings, which translates to a 0.36 or one in every 280,015 people I would say it's uh, skydivers or military flares in Nevada. Uh, West Virginia, number 39 in state population. They had eight sightings. Eight sightings. It still translates to a point four five, or one in 224,019 people. And let's say... Uh, I'll give Nevada the win for the month. They had 11 sightings. That's pretty good for them for for the month. So congratulations, Nevada. You are the monthly winner. Uh, I'll send you a pizza. Maybe. Uh, so my prediction for July. See Adita scrambling to find a pencil. Uh, my prediction for July, I'm going to go with 600 21 total and 455 US. 
so 621 and 455. We'll see. Hopefully, uh, I need a good month. I haven't had a good month in a while. I haven't been close. You haven't been close in a while. It couldn't be any worse than uh, April numbers. That was really bad. Let's see, I haven't really been close since like last. Well, November. So November, I was only off by one with the total, and nine with the U.S. So, eh, not too bad. Not too bad. Um, so what else we got here? So I forgot UFO stories. I forgot to talk about. Um, I haven't watched it yet. I've been finishing up some other series on Hulu before I move back to uh, Netflix. I do have a series. I got to catch up on Supernatural. The final season. Uh, they've only released a handful of episodes from what's been filmed. Uh, and the last two aren't even out yet. So kind of been slow on catching up on that. But if you got Netflix, uh, you might want to check out uh, Unsolved Mysteries is back. Uh, unfortunately, um, what's his name? Robert, uh, Robert Stack, is that his name? Uh, he passed away. Way back uh, 2005, I believe, uh, when the old show was still on. Uh, but it's back and only on Netflix. And apparently they've gotten rid of the uh, uh, the reenactments. So I'm not sure how it's going to flow. But uh, I've not seen any episode yet. But apparently, a few episodes in, uh, one episode is dedicated to the 1969 UFO sightings in Berkshire County, Massachusetts. Uh, so that sounds uh, sounds interesting. They'd actually have UFO sightings. Of course, some people are not happy. I've read a couple of articles where people are saying that they kind of omit a lot of things. Well, it's TV. What do you expect? Uh, but I know I, I used to love Unsolved Mysteries. It's a really cool show. Uh, so hopefully I'll get around to checking that out. And if you don't have Netflix, maybe you've got uh, the Travel Channel. So the Travel Channel this weekend. I'm kind of excited about this. It's I'm not excited for what's on there. Um, but uh, you probably heard about this. This Saturday, July 11th, is the debut of the Travel Channel series Hotel Paranormal. It's... Uh, it's a short, very short uh, six-episode season. Uh, focuses on people telling their stories with reenactments. And these are kind of focusing on the darker side of ghosts. Uh, I'll probably argue with the TV, and I, I'm going to have to bring my sponge in because I'll probably be throwing it at the TV. Um, I can't, you know, I can't watch Ghost Hunters or Ghost Adventures without having a sponge because I'll break my TV. It'll literally just explode off the wall. Um, so each episode focuses on a few short stories. I believe the first episode uh, is going to have three, um, including one where a uh, ghost follows uh, this gentleman home from the uh, the hotel, and he takes a picture of it. So that's going to be interesting. Uh, but... The show itself is probably part of the reason why a lot of people are going to tune in. But I, for me, I'm one of those people that's going to tune in for the narrator. That's right. Dan Aykroyd of Ghostbusters fame is the voice behind the show, which will certainly 
make this watchable. Uh, again, this Saturday, 10 p.m. Eastern, but always check your local listings. It's um, it's good. Like, uh, I mean, the part of the narration, because if you if you watch the previews for it and you listen to Dan Aykroyd do that, he, he's got this, he does the really dark, uh, I shouldn't say dark, but deep voice, really serious uh, Dan Aykroyd voice. And it's, it's certainly going to grab you and, and pull you in. It's going to make these crazy stories even more believable. Uh, sci-fi.com. I'll throw that link in the chat room. And uh, in this link, I believe this is the one where it does have the uh, the video you can watch. The preview. It's like three minutes long, something like that. But it's pretty cool to just to hear Dan Aykroyd's voice uh, do the... Uh, voiceover for the show uh so what do we got left what do we have left well we've got the book of the week left is what we've got left um this book kind of piggybacks uh, i did want to talk about this book last week uh, but i ended up having a different one jump in and uh because we're talking about the loch ness monster and this book here deals with the water. And I really, really love this book. It's actually taken me a long time to read this. And normally, I get a book that kind of sits around for a while, and then I decide to uh, decide to read it. And I read a book pretty much in about a week or two, and it's gone. And then I just fling it in the corner. One of my three and plus bookcases that are just uh, overflowing with books... Um, but this one here, I, I got it. I've had it. It's funny cause I was looking on Amazon. I actually got this a year ago, just over a year ago. And I, I started reading it right away. And this, this is a weird kind of book because you'll find yourself reading bits and pieces of it over and over again. Uh, it's, it's obviously it's, it's meant to be read from beginning to end, but because the concepts build one on top of the other, but when I pick it up again, if I haven't read it in a week or two, I'll actually go back and I'll, I'll reread parts of it because there's so much information in this book. And let me get uh, – okay, I'll put the picture in there first in the chat room. So this book, uh, not necessarily paranormal, I guess, but in cases of talking about lake monsters, uh, this book is invaluable. And for me – uh, I love being out on the water. I love uh, kayaking. I, I love uh, just seeing the water, uh, going on cruises, whatever. So being out on the water, I've always wanted to learn kind of how to read the water and to understand how water works and how water uh, kind of can be explained in, in different ways. And uh, really and truly, I bought this book uh, as a research piece for how to gauge depth by looking at water. We just wanted to know how to do that. I know there's, uh, I've read about uh, Pacific uh, navigators who had this uh, skill of being able to look at water and be able to tell you how deep it was. So I kind of wanted to uh, learn that. Uh, and again, it's just a, a fun book to read. And I wanted to learn more about water. Well, this book, well, it does that. It's even in the title. Uh, it's a New York Times bestseller, and it's called How to Read Water, 
Clues and Patterns from Puddles to the Sea uh, by Tristan Gooley. And uh, you can learn to gauge depth, you can navigate, forecast weather, and make other predictions with water. And it had uh, some pretty good reviews on it. And I was a little concerned because some of the reviews said that you're not going to learn anything from this book, that it's just really talking about concepts. So I was a little kind of hesitant, but the, the good reviews outweighed the bad. And I'm really, really glad that I did buy this book uh, because now I understand why people are saying that um, you're not going to learn from this book. And the reason why is because Tristan gives you the information, but he tells you time and time again, you have to go out and practice this or you're not going to learn. Uh, it's not going to give you, there's not a holy grail of how to do all this stuff. It, he's going to give you the concepts, the knowledge, the reasoning behind it, some scientific uh, information behind what you're seeing and why things happen and some examples and, and personal stories. But he pretty much puts it up to you. You're going to have to get out there. You're going to have to look for yourself and uh, to really understand these concepts. And, and you're going to have to find it in your in nature. It's not just here, go out and do this and, and or uh, read this and now you understand. Um, not everything in the world you can read and, and fully get from a book. You know, people learn it, learn things differently. And, you know, I, I don't know. I just really found this book to be, uh, I was looking for just some information and I ended up getting uh, so carried away with this book. It, it's just, it's absolutely fascinating and I love the way it's put together. So yeah, it is a, a very big book. It's over 400 pages. Um, that's exactly, I think it's exactly 400 actually with, with all the stuff in the back here. Uh, well, just short of 400. 394. Yeah, 394. So, uh, it's still a big book, but I was so impressed by it. I actually went out and bought uh, a different one, how to read nature, which I'll eventually talk about that one as well. But, um, you know, I know a lot of this stuff in this book about water and, you know, just the science of water and how water works. But, uh, Tristan does a fantastic job of taking really basic concepts about what water does and how it acts and then moving it into different directions. So going from puddles to creeks and, and rivers and lakes all the way to the ocean, talking about navigation, um, wind, how wind affects water, light and, and different things about science. It could be pretty boring, but he wraps all these concepts in personal stories as well as uh, scientific concepts. And Tristan Gooley, uh, to read his bio real quick, he's a writer and natural navigator, which caught my interest. So he's a natural navigator. He doesn't rely on tools and technology. He relies on nature, uh, old school stuff like the stars, celestial navigation, but can also navigate by how the water works which is a really, really old school way of navigation. Uh, his passion for the subject of natural navigation stems from his hands-on experience. He's led expeditions in five continents, climbed mountains in Europe, Africa, and Asia, sailed small boats across oceans, and piloted small craft from Africa to the Arctic. He's the only living person to have both flown solo and sailed single-handedly across the Atlantic. And he's a fellow of the Royal Institute of Navigation 
and the Royal Geographic Society. He and his school can be found online at naturalnavigator.com. So the one slight drawback to the story for me, or this book, I should say, and it's 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 nonfiction, so it's, it's the truth. Uh, it's pretty much based in the United Kingdom, but he does kind of relay information to the United States. Uh, but it's... Like I said, there is so much information in this book. I have to stop sometimes and go back and reread different parts. And, and I'm the kind of person I, I put the little little markers in the book with information so I can go back. This book you can't do that with because you would literally have a five in each page. Uh, there is so much information, and I keep going back and rereading it over and over again. I uh, can't say enough about it. So if you like the water, you like to navigate, you want to learn uh, about water, uh, about how things work in nature – uh, beyond just reading a very stale science book, highly recommend How to Read Water, Clues and Patterns from Puddles to the Sea by Tristan Gooley, this week's Book of the Week. And with that, a tip of the hat to everybody in chat for hanging out with me and as well as anybody listening to this as an archive. I will definitely see you next week, but for now... Keep your eyes in the skies, your ears the woods, the hair standing on the back of your neck, and always keep your minds slightly ajar. Keep the wind at your back, and above all else, don't stop believing. For the Paranormal News Insider, this is Dr. Brian D. Parsons reporting. <laughs>